Hello everybody, this is Kia from Wicked Majesty and you are listening to Tea and Terror Podcast, the show that entertains with true and fictional stories from beyond the grave for people who love horror. Welcome to another Thursday night of Tea and Terror. Tonight's story involves an abandoned house with supernatural occurrences. It's fascinating how the United States is filled with haunted houses and facilities with stories unknown or not told enough. Well, tonight is different for this one house. Written by the author Ambrose Bierce, with reflections of her life in mind, we bring you a vine on a house. A Vine on a House by Ambrose Bierce About three miles from the little town of Norton in Missouri, on the road leading to Maysville, stands an old house that was last occupied by a family named Harding. Since 1886, no one has lived in it, nor is anyone likely to live in it again. Time and the disfavor of persons dwelling thereabout are converting it into a rather picturesque ruin. An observer unacquainted with its history would hardly put it into category of haunted houses, yet in all the region round, such as its evil reputation. Its windows are without glass, its doorways without doors. There are wide breaches in each shingle roof, and for lack of paint, the weatherboarding is a dun gray. But these unveiling signs of the supernatural are partly concealed and greatly softened by the abundant foliage of a large vine overrunning the entire street. The vine of a species which no botanist has ever been able to name has an important part in the story of the house. The Hardin family consisted of Robert Harding, his wife Matilda, Miss Julia Went, who was her sister, and two young children. Robert Harding was a silent, cold-mannered man who made no friends in the neighborhood and apparently cared to make none. He was about 40 years old, frugal, and industrious 
and made a living from the little farm which is now overgrown with bush and brambles he and his sister-in-law were rather tabooed by their neighbors who seemed to think they, they were seen too frequently together not entirely their fault for at these times they evidently did not challenge observation the moral code of rural missouri is stern and exacting mrs harding was a gentle sad-eyed woman lacking a left foot at some time in 1884 it became known that she had gone to visit her mother in iowa that was where her husband said in reply to inquiries and his manner of saying it did not discourage further questioning she never came back and two years later without selling his farm or anything that was his or appointing an agent to look after his interest or removing his household goods harding with the rest of the family left the country nobody knew whither he went nobody at that time cared naturally whatever was movable about the place soon disappeared and the deserted house became haunted in the manner of its kind one summer evening four or five years later the rev j gruber of norton and a maysville attorney named hyatt met on horseback in front of the harding place having business matters to discuss they hitched their animals and going to the house sat on the porch to talk some humorous reference to the somber reputation of the place was made and forgotten as soon as uttered and they talked of their business affairs until it grew almost dark the evening was oppressively warm the air stagnant presently both men started from their seats in surprise a long vine that covered half the front of the house and dangled its branches from the edge of the porch above them was visibly and audibly agitated shaking violently in every stem and leaf we shall have a storm hyatt exclaimed gruber said nothing but silently directed the other's attention to the foliage of the adjacent trees which showed no movement even the delicate tips of the boughs silhouetted against the clear sky were motionless they hastily passed down the steps to what had been a lawn and looked upward at the vine whose entire link was now visible it continued in violent agitation yet they could discern no disturbing cause let us leave said the minister and leave they did forgetting that they had been traveling in opposite directions they rode away together they went to norton where they related their strange experience to several discreet friends the next evening at about the same hour accompanied by two others whose names are not recalled they were again on the porch of the harding house and again the mysterious phenomenon occurred the vine was violently agitated while under the closest scrutiny from root to tip nor did their combined strength applied to the trunk serve to still it after an hour's observation they retreated no less wise it is thought that when they had come no great time was required for these singular facts to rouse the curiosity of the entire neighborhood by day and by night crowds of persons assembled at the harding house 
seeking a sign. It did not appear that any found it, yet so credible were the witnesses mentioned that none doubted the reality of manifestations to which they testified. By either a happy inspiration or some destructive design, it was one day proposed nobody appeared to know from whom the suggestion came to dig up the vine, and after a good deal of debate, this was done. Nothing was found but the root, yet nothing could have been more strange. For five or six weeks from the trunk, which had at the surface of the ground a diameter of several inches, it ran downward, single and straight, into a loose, friable earth. Then it divided and subdivided into rootlets, fibers, and filaments, most curiously interwoven. When carefully freed from soil, they showed a singular formation. In their ramifications and doubling back upon themselves, they made a compact network, having in size and shape an amazing assemblance to the human figure. Head, trunk, and limbs were there. Even the fingers and toes were distinctly defined, and many professed to see in the distribution and arrangement of the fibers in the globular mass representing the head at a grotesque suggestion of a face. The figure was horizontal. The smaller root had begun to reunite, had begun to unite at the breast. In point of assemblance to the human form, this image was imperfect. At about 10 inches from one of the knees, the cilia forming that leg had abruptly doubled backwards and inwards upon their course of growth. The figure lacked the left foot. There was but one inference, the obvious one, but in the ensuring excitement, as many courses of action were proposed as there were incapable counselors. The matter was settled by the sheriff of the county, who, as the lawful custodian of the abandoned estate, ordered the route replaced and the excavation filled with the earth that had been removed. Later, inquiry brought out only one fact of relevance and significance. Mrs. Harding had never visited her relatives in Iowa, nor did they know that she was supposed to have done so. Of Robert Harding and the rest of the family, nothing is known. The house retains its evil reputation, but the replanted vine is as orderly and well-behaved a vegetable as a nervous person could wish to sit under a pleasant night when the katydids great out their immemorial revelation and the distant whip-poor-will signifies his notion of what ought to be done about it. Well, that is our episode for the week. Thank you for listening. If you want to hear more episodes coming up in the future, then definitely add the Tea and Terror to your playlist on Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also check out the show on my Wicked Majesty channel. This is Kia, and I will catch you next week. Same time, same place. Have a good night.